Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another week from the beautiful summery state of Wisconsin. Folks, Summerfest starts tonight. It's Thursday. We record. And that means Robert Craig is in the house, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, good to see you. Uh, good morning, everyone. We had a late night, so it yeah. did job, but um, we're ready to rumble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Robert is uh, hes hinting at the night we had last night, which uh, was the Brewfest. It's our annual fundraiser. We try to keep it a little bit more light here at Citizen Action and our, our, our annual fundraiser. I'd say half the people are in shorts and uh, T-shirts because it's outdoors. It was at our new office in Milwaukee, which we were really happy to debut. And uh, I want to thank all of our staff who put a lot of time into making the office actually look beautiful, including our producer, Brian Wooldridge. But, you know, just got to say we had a great crowd. It was wonderful. Uh, the Brewfest. Uh, we had Mandela Barnes, our newly endorsed U.S. Senate candidate, speak, which was fantastic. But, you know, the best part about Brewfest is um, getting out getting a chance to see people, and especially, Robert, and I want to get your quick thoughts on this. After this pandemic, right, we have been, we haven't done really in uh, any kind of in-person things. Last year in the summer, we did a couple things jointly with Monaco Brewing. We stuck our foot in the water briefly, but this is our first really big, you know, sort of in-person major event, uh, and I thought it went really well. It was great to see everybody. Robert? No, nice turnout. Uh, uh, also multiracial, which is everything in our movement. Uh, our Northside Rising Co-op is to be complimented. Brand new activists there for the first time from uh, Milwaukee's North Side, and I got to talk to a few of them. Very interesting. I mean, these were these are really good prospects for people who could be major, you know, uh, leaders, and they were just found on the doors. You know, were connected to things. So that before this. So that's fantastic. Um, I would say that people got to see our new office. We have our own two floor building and we used to have a very cool kind of warehouse loft office in Walker's Point, it gentrified around us. It was not really jet that gentrified. We're one of the first in. It wasn't a great organizing office, even though it was cool. So this is an organizing office. It's centrally located. It's, uh, it, it, it has its own storefront big sign, uh, free parking all around. So right on Philippe Street, uh, very close to the highways. So any, any part of the region and the mass transit system. So I think this hopefully is our pivot to coming back to real in-person organizing that. Yeah, no, it, it was great. Love the energy, love the spirit. Want to thank everyone who helped make it happen. Right. Also want to thank Bounce uh, uh, Milwaukee for the, for the pizza uh, all, all, all the stuff and that was donated, Monaco Brewing, Monaco Brewing no. UAW, this whole thing was presented by UAW. They were major sponsorship, so it was great. And by the way, um, just as someone who got the privilege to serve a lot of the alcohol, I can tell you what the top drinks were in terms of what moved. So first of all, to uh, our folks up at Monaco Brewing, that uh, Planned Parenthood choice seltzer, holy smokes. I think we might've sold out of that stuff. That was a hot drink. Now it's warm. It's a wonderful summer drink. Seltzer was a great alternative to beer. 
But in the beer category, you know what? We ran out of Leinenkugel's Northwoods Lager. We couldn't, we, it went very, very fast. We had a run on of it. It wasn't the same person too. Normally it might be me. No, but it, it was all different people. So uh, that is a uh, good solid uh, local union beer was very popular, but also a lot of the Monaco, a lot of sampling of, of the Monaco brewing across, uh, across different kinds of um, palates. Uh, so just, it was, uh, it was a and lot. I was going to say we had, and we had great, Social justice beer from Ohio, from Ken, Ohio, the Drink Your Values Brewery. And I like the Dog Whistle IPA, especially, yes, yes. which I sampled. But of the Monaco brew beers, I didn't get to have one because I had, I was talking some I didn't have. I only had one beer, actually, which is amazing, given I, lo I love beer. And that is, um, I really like the La Porter, which is the uh, Monaco Brewing Company. That's uh, it's a it's a vice presidential stout after Kamala Harris. Very very good, uh, darker kind of kind of beer. That was the beer of choice to anyone who was looking for something a, a little heavier or darker. Oh, folks, look! If you couldn't make it this year, we understand. However, please, it was also a fundraiser. If you would like to donate to Citizen Action. Going to have a link here with the show. Please go on, support Citizen Action, or even more importantly, become a member. One of the big messages last night is it's not enough just to go vote. It's not enough just to donate. Donating is important, but we need your action. Mandela Barnes is going to need your action. We have so much volunteer opportunities for uh, that are coming up. Every Wednesday evening now, you can make phone calls for Mandela. We'll have a link to that activity. Um, and we will also be adding field activities in terms of getting on the doors later this, this primary for Mandela. So it's really important you join our co-ops, get involved. Robert, one last word. And I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this. We gave out the first time our new democracy defender awards and the basis of these awards is we we have people already facing risks needing courage uh, having their lives changed because of the attack on democracy we saw ruby friedman and her daughter testify in the january 6th committee hearing this uh, powerful powerful and just sad like depressing that that could happen to somebody yeah, yeah. So, so we gave uh Two, when rather than giving trophies, we're making posters and we keep one in the office and then give one to the recipient. So there'll be a whole history of Democracy Defender Awards because I think the fight for democracy will be going on for a while, given the nature of the other party, the Republican Party in this country right now and for a while. And that is we gave one award to Anita Johnson, former Citizen Action staff member, current board member who is a patron saint of voting rights and helping people actually navigate all of the uh, barriers to voting and uh, particularly marginalized communities in Milwaukee. And of course, has is, is, is faced a lot over the years. So she's sort of our own version of, of Ruby Friedman, those African-American women that make democracy work. And uh, I think she was very excited to, to get the award. And then uh, Mark Thompson, who is one of the members of the Wisconsin Election Commission. He's also uh, one of our board chairs. We have two boards and uh, they've, you know, faced, you know, all sorts of attacks, threats of, of prosecutions for felonies by that crazy Racine County Sheriff 
uh, and and from and from various Republicans, including one gubernatorial candidate. So they uh, they have uh, sacrificed a lot to make sure that we that democracy actually works, and did a lot to make sure people actually had a right to vote during a pandemic, which now after the fact has been turned into an, a, a, a subsection of the big lie. So again, if you missed it, please donate. We'll have it again next year. We'll, we'll, we'll get you a chance to see you next year. Robert though, we're gonna go to break here in a couple minutes, but I, I wanna dive into our next topic. It's look, it is the story of the week here, not only in Wisconsin, but nationally. Uh, it was, it's Ron Johnson. Ron Johnson, Ron Johnson. Okay, so if you have not seen it by now, you just aren't paying very, very close attention. Uh, but Ron Johnson uh, was the subject of, you know, big news in the latest of the January 6th Commission's investigations, the hearings this week. It uh, was revealed that essentially Ron Johnson, through his staffer, but Ron Johnson, attempted to pass along both fake electors, the ballots of the fake electors for Wisconsin and Michigan to Pence's office. Pence's office, of course, as we know, uh, was having none of it, rejected it. And uh, Ron's trying to pretend like this is nothing. However, it's very instructive, folks. The hilarious part of this video, right? The guy starts to pretend he's on his phone. That is all you need to know about what's going on with Ron Johnson in this story. Uh, look, it made national news. It's all over the place. Jimmy Kimmel just last night said Ron was caught holding his Johnson. Uh, and it just played the whole clip, of course, mocked it. So, uh, Robert, we I, I'm guessing okay. Mandela Barnes won't be able to use that. Um, <laughs> but I was, I know we just have a minute before break, but before jumping in to uh, to the the tales of what all this means, let me just say, Ron Johnson is again laughing stock, but this is no laughing matter. In other words. These folks are deadly serious. And the, the January 6th co uh, uh, commission uh, report so far, which we'll talk about after the break, um, show that they came very close to succeeding. And Ron Johnson was a critical part of that conspiracy. He was trying to force false electors into Mike Pence's hand to force his hand. And now he even tried to blame it on his staff. I've met with that staffer, Sean Riley. He's a by the book kind of guy. There is no way he took it upon himself to try to arrange a handoff between Ron Johnson and the vice president of the United States during the certification. Robert, and that's so obvious. If he did it himself, Johnson would have thrown him under the bus a long time ago. He would have terminated him when it happened, right? It's absurd. And so here's the thing. It may have been, and I, we go to break after this, that he was trying to create some scene where he came up to Vice President Pence during the certification with these things and created a situation where Pence felt like he had to delay the proceedings or send them back. That this was a last part of what seems like a clown show, but again, deadly serious threat to democracy. And with that, folks, we're going to take our first break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin or Citizen Action. You can find us and you can donate at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We were just talking about Ron Johnson and his, let's just say, direct connection to the January 6th 
insurrection, which folks, I know everyone keeps saying, hey, this is an off-year election. You know, it is an off-year election, but it is still the first election, major national election since the insurrection. And that remains the defining thing in this race. And the whole situation with Ron Johnson being directly involved just brings that directly to light. Robert, uh, we I want to give you a chance if you, there's anything more you want to say about this, but I want to do it within the context of starting to talk about the Marquette poll and just sort of the latest horse race and how there's something fascinating going on where Democrats, it is to say it's a headwind in this election would be, you know, mild. Like we got a president whose numbers are literally getting close to Trumpian in terms of where he is on favorability, which is a horrendous sort of headwind to go into. And Wisconsin, by, by most definitions, right, is a classic swing state. But yet, if you look at the Marquette poll, and I would argue a lot of shit that's going on with January 6 helps explain some of this in Wisconsin's cast of characters connection to it. Democrats are doing surprisingly well still in this poll, given the horrendous news that's been going on, just the just everything, inflation, all of it, right? And yet we've gotten the Marquette poll in head-to-heads. We've got Evers still defeating the, the, the leading Republicans. And on the other side, you've got the, the at least the top three, and certainly Mandela Barnes leading the way, defeating Ron Johnson. Robert, thoughts? And oh, any more well, how this connects, you know, within this context of January 6th? So the January 6th hearing so far, we're recording Thursdays, there's another one this afternoon, and they're taking a two-week hiatus because they have more they apparently they've developed more witnesses because of what's come out from under rocks based on what they've already done. They're doing something very difficult, but when it can be done, it's very hard. That is what happened with January 6th and the attempted coup is, is that our broken media system with how the right wing has its own media, all the disinformation on social media made it possible to muddy the waters so people did not, at first, there was that strong reaction, oh my God, this is terrible, even among people like the uh, wannabe speaker of the uh, House, right? And uh, who said all the right things at first and then saw the politics. And But once they muddied it up, they, there was not the universal public judgment there should have been, like there was with Watergate, with a, a communication system that was at least more unified. It wasn't perfect, but it was better than this in many ways. And so what they're doing is with their pulpit and with the facts and with laying the facts out meticulously in a narrative, they're doing what people who study persuasion language say is a re-narration. They have to like make people, remind people of how they felt on the day and create a whole new context for understanding what went down. And they're doing a great job of showing Donald Trump as the chief orchestrator, not incidental to this, and to not making it a bunch of isolated incidents of crazy people. It was part of one unified conspiracy. And that's and people are getting that. It is changing politics. There are now over 65% that think Trump did something that probably ought to be prosecuted in some polls. And so that affects things like what's happening in Wisconsin. And what I would analogize it to is this, Matt. In 2010, it was horrible headwinds. Uh, the, the first midterm of President Obama with the 
uh, right-wing generated Tea Party rebellion, uh, the backlash that was generated against the Affordable Care Act, and then also the fact that, frankly, Obama's economic team decided to leave unemployment near 10%, which was politically disastrous, to save money for budget deficits, which was crazy because the Republicans were in control just ran through all that money and more. But anyway, a number, we didn't, they didn't take the Senate because Republicans ran crazy candidates in multiple states like Colorado and Delaware and other places who lost. And that's what this is reminding me of. The Republican Party has gone so Trumpy MAGA, and it's been that way in, in, in Wisconsin for a lot longer than people think. I was shocked when I first started doing Wisconsin politics how right wing and crazed the, the Republicans were. I thought they might be more like moderate Republicans in the Northeast. They weren't. But the, be that as it may, it's metastasized. And when you have Ron Johnson and you have that collection of gubernatorial front runners, you know, even with these headwinds, a it, it is a competitive race that a Democrat can win. In fact, Democrats are winning both top the ticket races, according to the Marquette right now in the U.S. Senate and the governor's race. Look, I think it's I, I don't want to say it's stunning because we know. Right. And you just sort of laid out. We're just sort of laying out why some of that's happening. Right. Ron Johnson has got to be one of the least popular U.S. senators out there and this week isn't going to help him. So the numbers that we just saw this weekend, again, in case you missed it, Mandela Barnes continues to hold and has the strongest, now all this stuff is within the margin of error, but continues to be the strongest of the Democratic contenders against Ron Johnson. But look, all of all three of them, with the exception of Alex Lazary, he, he he's he's underwater against Ron Johnson, which is tells you something, folks, especially given all the money. So uh, limitless money cannot cannot buy you love apparently because um, <laughs> he uh, he's underwater against Ron Johnson and that is that's disturbing uh, given that the other ones aren't and I will say just, Robert, you know me and Paul's that that fortunately actual love is not judged within margins of error but of course, anyway, be that of may. <laughs> I do think I do think there there might be something something there but anyways look the the fundamental other thing, Robert, that I just want to, you know, get your thoughts on, because this has been going on forever. And we were actually chatting about this before we dove into this uh, podcast. Marquette poll has become literally there's almost no other polls out there. I, I remember the St. Norbert poll used to be out there. It's basically gone away and it should. It was not not very good. And it certainly was. Marquette has been really solid or at least damn good at horse race. And the other thing that they've really been consistent at, but I was saying with you, Robert, is become irrelevant almost is the issue polling because it doesn't effing matter. There's so many issues that, that are, we would describe as progressive and democratic issues that are wildly popular, 55, 60 plus percent. It just doesn't matter anymore what that is because of the gerrymandering and I'll throw it to you on this. And just because the Republicans racialize everything and that still hurts when we don't confront it effectively. Robert? Okay, so issues don't matter when we don't have a legislature, for example, that actually reflects voting because it's, because it's, a, it's a guaranteed supermajority for Republicans with the new maps, which we're lucky we can overturn after two years, but are in place for this year. 
and we have a chance to anyway. Uh, of course, we have to deal with this U.S. Supreme Court, which we'll get to, Matt. Uh, but then the other reason is, is that people don't vote on every issue. We don't have a we don't have election by, you know, issues by referendum or plebiscite in this in, in our system. So if you're not going to throw them out on it, then it's and, and by the way, maybe you maybe some people are, but not enough in each district, then it won't affect the outcome. And so if I was wanted to spend more time being active on Twitter, I just don't think it builds anything. If it does, it, I mean, it can in some ways, but just in terms of my time as, a, as the director of an organization. But I would be saying to all the people who were tweeting back around the popularity of, their, of the various good things like keeping abortion illegal and having uh, reasonable gun safeguards, et cetera, et cetera. I just say, why do you think the fact that the public's with us matters anymore? This isn't a functioning democracy. Why, why do we even spend the money polling on this and pointing it out like it matters where the public is? Apparently it doesn't, especially with this brand of Republican. Yeah, there, look, there's just no doubt about that. And so what I want to do for the rest of the show, Robert, we're going to transition here. I know we've got just a little bit before we go to the break, so we'll set it up and talk more about it. I want to talk about the rest of the issues within a broader context of kind of what, what conservative rule would look like, right, if we, say in Wisconsin, lose the governor's race and become a what appears to be one of the most conservative and crazy states in the country, probably politically, but also nationally, right? As we as we potentially head into a presidential cycle two years down the road. Uh, and we have a number of canaries in the coal mine uh, that have just they're right in front of us this week that I want to talk about for the rest of the show. And Robert, we're going to start uh as we head into break about just the Supreme Court, right? We're sitting here as we record this show. I, I thought there was, you know, you never know, a chance we could be talking about the 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 Roe decision, right? And 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 what everyone is sort of waiting for, right? Which is sort of overtaking everything. Uh, but also just the stuff as it relates on guns and where where we're where where we could go forward on climate as it relates to this terrifying Supreme Court. Robert, you got a minute before we headed to break to set this up. Well, we have, this is what rigging the system against democracy means. We have unelected judges acting as politicians in robes, changing the interpretation of what the Constitution allegedly immediately said over 200 years ago to simply impose right-wing doctrine that had, cannot be imposed through legislation. And so... This is what it means. You would never, the, the, the people who wrote the Constitution would never have given people with, who are not elected with lifetime appointments this kind of control over our lives. They did, this is, the idea this is the original intent of the system is absurd. This is, a, this is a brand of authoritarianism. And they're deciding what is right, and we'll get to it. We know the consequences of Roe. Uh, people are better understanding the, the consequences of essentially abrogating all the reasonable gun control regulations. But I'm going to say the climate piece is the part we should talk about a little because that could be the most important because you can have all the rights you want. If you're dead, you don't have any more rights. Oh, and with that, folks, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin, your citizen action. 
Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin, where citizen action, we're talking about what conservative rule would look like. And we're getting a huge sneak peek as this week. Oh, it does uh, look num- like they're about to rule. In a number in of issues, way. right? In a number of issues and starting, Robert, with the Supreme Court, which could rule at any moment on Roe, but also other things, Robert. You are about to start to talk about climate in particular. And it is quasi-religious. This is very much like, you know, this this religion is going to arise as a different interpretation of what the original doctrine was, the original holy text, than the reigning religion. That's what this is like. Nothing's changed that would justify these changes at all, just the people in charge. And we already have a packed Supreme Court. And then you have some, the most moderate Democrats saying, well, we don't want to pack the court. They packed it already. Do you want to rebalance the court? By the way, poll that one. Having a balanced court that represents all sides would be highly popular. Not that that matters in our system. Uh, But here's the thing on, we know about the threat of Roe versus Wade Wade and how outrageous it is and how it also leads to other threats, like threats to gay marriage, threats to birth control, threats to anything that's based on your personal autonomy or privacy, which they're going to decide because the Bill of Rights isn't in the Constitution. The original framers didn't want to write a Bill of Rights because they're afraid of that interpretation. In fact, the Ninth Amendment says that rights are reserved back to us that are not listed, okay? So anyway, uh, so it's an amazing interpretation that just that that amendment just doesn't exist according to right wing judges because they're not really judging they're 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 legislating from lifetime appointments. Uh, but on the climate case, the the West Virginia versus EPA is stunning and even goes beyond climate. When they created the Clean Air Act originally, Congress didn't want to have to pass a law every time there was new research about something being dangerous. They gave the EPA the authority to develop regulations based on on, on emerging science and and, uh, emerging threats that we would learn about, like PFAS, for example, in water. And what happened is that, of course, the right wing idea is, okay, we're going to make it impossible to pass things legislatively, but we're also going to go and, and and pack the courts with people who are going to get rid of all of the administrative authority Congress gave them in things like the Clean Air Act. Okay, and so what happened is when Obama couldn't get uh, his uh, big climate plans through a Democratic Congress, so there's there's plenty of blame to go around here. He went to administrative rule and he uh, he offered up something called the Clean Power Plan. Well, that never ended up. That was uh, that was challenged immediately by a number of Republican attorney generals, including in West Virginia, but that was pulled when Trump got elected. So there was no case. There was nothing that that, that the basis of the case doesn't exist. Biden ran on if he can't do it legislatively, which he still tried to do through budget reconciliation, he would use all of his powers. Well, the Supreme Court has now taken the case, West Virginia versus EPA, on something that doesn't exist, Obama's clean power plan. What does that tell you? And not only may they remove all EPA authority, regulate carbon, at a time where if we don't cut carbon emissions in half by 2030, we're gonna have runaway climate change with, with genocidal consequences, they actually could take out the authority from most for, for much of much of else the EPA does around clean air, Matt. And they may do this the same week that they uh, they they got Roe and also got all the sensible gun safety laws in bluer states. 
Yeah, and Robert, it's look, no doubt about the true horror that is possibly awaiting us in the next week or two as it relates to the court and 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 future decisions coming down the pike. The Let me just say they they say Matt, oh, they can do it legislatively. Well, then they have gutted the clean campaign system that was created in the 70s and this started earlier than recently. They did, they, they've done gerrymandering, they've legalized dark money. All of that makes it nearly impossible because of the money of, of the big interests involved to do things in Congress. But then they're gonna say, well, Congress can go and do this. Congress can go and, 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 and redo the Voting Rights Act, except Congress can't, and they know they can't. And this is about achieving a certain result and having deniability. So, one of the things that happened also this week that's fits into this broader what it's like living under conservative rule is is what happened here in Wisconsin as it relates to the special session to deal with the fact that we're sitting here waiting for the Supreme Court to do what we expect and that Wisconsin has in place a law from 1849 as it relates to women's health and, and essentially what happened Governor Evers called a special session a number of weeks ago after this uh, impending court case was leaked. And, well, this week, gaveled in, gaveled out, which we know has happened many times before. But this wasn't just another issue. This was like literally, Robert, it was like the Republicans were gaveling women back to 1849. It's like... Your rights go back to 1849 and talking about it as if somehow the Democrats were being political. And the Democrats, it's just, it's like alternative authoritarian reality. Robert? Yeah, I think uh, I'm not the first to suggest that this has the feel of the um, Handmaiden's Tale. If people are familiar with the Margaret Atwood novel and the uh, series on uh, streaming television. Uh, so there, there's a, a tribunal that just makes decisions in, a, in, a, in an authoritarian matter based on their strict dogma. And notice public opinion doesn't matter. I mean, well, over 60% in the Marquette poll think that abortion should be legal in all or most cases. Doesn't matter. Um, now, we knew they were going to do it, so it was all kind of a kabuki play, but they've shown over and over again that they're unwilling even to debate what is put in front of them by Governor Evers. And the whole purpose of the legislature, the idea of having a smaller Republican form of government, was for the main issues of the day to be debated in the legislature so the public could see the arguments on both sides and itself be educated and make decisions what they want and then with those with those decisions decide who the representative should be this is a fundamental function when i say it just sounds like an aside they're not a deliberative body they're not a, what they're constitutionally supposed to be and they're an anti-deliberative body they're about doing it behind closed doors in an authoritarian way and just announcing where they're going to be regardless of what the public or anyone else thinks yeah it's look can you imagine when people constructed the concept that the governor would call a special session about something that they felt was the governor felt was so important, right? That the theory would be that that would be just so let's set that up just so the legislature could come in, hit the gavel and go away. Do you think that really was the intention? 
And I get where the Republicans might choose to do that once in a while or once if they really strongly believe there was something being done, you know, overtly politically. But we've had now how many times like has this gaveled in? In fact, quite frankly, the brilliant ad for Evers to run or anyone to run on any against any of these is just a series of the gavelings and what they were for and what the public opinion is on these things. Just the issues, right? Like, and gap, not even a discussion, boom, boom on even, boom, right? Like we've had like six or eight of them on major issues of our time. And as you said, Robert, not even willing to have a discussion where they then, you know, vote it down and just like, sorry, we, we still strongly disagree, but like not even to allow the public debate about these issues of our time, right? That's the disconnect that we're talking about between the Marquette poll. So whether it be abortion at 70% support, Badger Care public option, nearly 70% support. You can go to gun control, right? Go down the names, the list of the special sessions that have been called and have been gaveled in and out. And it really speaks more broadly to what we're getting at here in terms of the kind of democracy that this is. Um, Robert. So here's the problem it's important to do what we're doing and there are others doing this and point out what Republican rule looks like. And we're already under it in many ways through the courts, through this legislature, et cetera. Um, the problem is this though, it further discredits democracy. And when the Democrats can't actually achieve things like the very slim, slim Democrat majority in Congress, the whole situation and that's responsible for Biden's low approval ratings doesn't actually aid us in winning back the idea that our democracy, if run well, is the way to address most of the major problems facing our society and facing average people in Wisconsin and across the country. And so in sort of uh, sort of uh, malicious sort of way, their trashing of government trashes the possibility of government and serves the ends of the big interests they serve that don't want to be regulated. The fossil fuel industry that's hoping that they will not have to do a climate transition because the Supreme Court is going to declare it illegal uh, as doctrine uh, this week. So that is the problem that we have to inspire people to be something as better as possible. And then we have to perform. And the lack of full unity Democratic Party, the inability to pass Build Back Better, the question of whether we pass climate and healthcare reforms within the budget reconciliation this summer. That is critical to the whole question of whether we can restore people's faith in the most fundamental American institution, that is democratic self-rule. Well, I will just, before we go to break on that, I agree with all that. I will though remind you, and you, you, you say this, there was actually quite uni unanimity across the Democratic coalition for those things. It really was this structure, again, of the Senate, the filibuster, and let's just say it, two blowhards. With that, folks, you're going. We're going to break. You're listening to Battleground Wisconsin or Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin or Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Robert? So... There's a new book out by a couple of New York Times reporters that basically blames Biden for not choosing between the moderate and the progressive wing and making it sound 
I heard it was it was the subject of the New York Times Daily, which is a long kind of podcast earlier this week. And the reporter that was on, one of the co-authors, he didn't offer an alternative. I mean, you have a you do have a division between the progressive and moderate wing of the party, but he didn't say what you said, Matt, at the end of the last break. He didn't say that almost that 98% of Democrats, moderates and progressives were for the Build Back Better agenda, 3.5 trillion, and two killed it with their own uh, their own connection to lobbyists and their obsession with the filibuster, cinema and mansion. And so there's this false narrative going on about this conflict between the moderates and progressives. President Biden actually solved that problem, got agreement on something very bold, and our system was still set up in a way to make it fail. And that, but that was devastating, and it's led to more demoralization, which means right now we're in a contest in Wisconsin of who's worse, Rebecca Clayfish and Tim Michaels, or what's happening with the with the perceived failure of the National Democrats, right? Same with Johnson versus uh, versus hopefully Mandela Barnes in the U.S. Senate race. So we've talked also we've talked about a number of things happening, the federal and the state level as it relates to this wonderful conservative authoritarian rule that we have so much forward to look forward to if we don't get off our butts and get involved in this election. A couple things locally that are shocking in many ways when you look at the deeper implications that broke news this week. And I want you to talk about, Robert, one of them is what went on in Kenosha, the county board, for folks who missed the video, we'll put a link to it, but the video is, you know, it's 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 shocking in terms of its deeper implications. And it's basically the Kenosha County Board, which was taken over basically by Republicans this spring. I was attempting to pass three pieces of legislation that would, you know, have very significant implications. One around guns that would basically allow you to carry guns pretty much everywhere you wanted. Uh, the others had to do with a lot of the right-wing propaganda garbage, uh, including things around not taking money for uh, helping from nonprofits to help administer elections. Long and short of it, a guy was trying to speak in opposition to these to these three pieces of uh, legislation, and was uh, talking about the connect between the money and these candidates and why they're taking these positions and how dangerous they are. And he was essentially gaveled down and then had two sheriffs come and take him and, and wrestle him to the ground and drag him out. It, you know, just stunning over like over speech that they didn't like, didn't like the way the speech was being delivered. Robert? Well, well, they said they didn't like how he's being delivered. No, they're authoritarians. They don't really believe in free speech. And they had police officers, deputy sheriffs, arrest someone for saying something they didn't like at a public meeting. And then they, then they adjourned the whole meeting. And they threw him in jail. It's still unclear whether he'll be charged. The whole thing is, these are the ones who claim they believe in rule of law, claim they believe in individual freedom, all of those things. This is who is taking over through the Republican Party. It's a, it's a race to the bottom. 
Uh, the question really still is, even having said that, even though they seem like clowns, they're dangerous clowns, okay? Uh, the fascists of, in many countries in the 20th, in the early 20th century seemed like clowns, but there were clowns with guns that were capable of genocide, okay? That's frankly the direction this may be going if we do not, that's why we created Democracy Defenders Award at Citizen Action, have the courage to defend democracy and then to make it work for people, not just defend its structures and mechanisms. Yeah, I mean, this is, we, we talked about the gaveling in, gaveling out. This is the same thing. This is not wanting to hear from the other side, not even wanting to have to entertain or deal with their arguments. You know, you still have the power. They could have listened and been annoyed for two hours or whatever and having to listen to him and the next guy and the next woman, right? Because there were going to be, there were a bunch of people there who were going to, but you know what? That's democracy. And you should sit there and listen to it and disagree with it and then vote your thing. You already won. You already have a majority. But watching that they don't even want to have to listen to the arguments. And, you know, that's the same thing with the gaveling in, gaveling out. And that's why it's important to talk about. Robert. And, there, and there's been a change, Matt. I told you the Scott Jensen era, I was shocked how right-wing the Republicans were. This is more post-Gingrich kind of Republicanism, but it was very right in this state. There's always been, you know, going back to McCarthy, this incredibly strong right-wing core that was extreme in Wisconsin. Then we had the strong progressive wing we need to rebuild. Uh, but I can tell you that earlier in my advocacy career in Wisconsin, I was regularly invited to debate conservative leaders in front of conservative audiences or on talk shows debated people like Leah Vukmir multiple times, spoke at Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce, the big business lobby. That stuff's all shut down. They don't want to hear the other side anymore. So there's been a shift where they just want to impose their position. They don't even want to have a discussion. I spoke before the Federalist Society. They actually, at that point, still at least wanted to have some sort of back and forth, even though they weren't going to agree with me. Uh, they'd still give you a nice lunch and, and hear you out. No more. I tell you, now it's like our way of the highway. Robert, there's one more local issue I think fits in with this. And we've talked quite a bit about what's been going on locally around um, efforts around critical race theory, which is just blah, blah, blah for not wanting to talk about racism and white supremacy and its actual impacts on our, both in our history and in our lived current experience. Uh, this week, uh, Milwaukee Exurban School District rejected a book that talked about Japanese internment because it wasn't what Robert balanced what it's, was... a, it's a very well-regarded <laughs> fictional account that is one, <clears throat> fictional account by someone who experienced it that is uh won national book awards and other various literary prizes yes there was objection that apparently there are two sides to Japanese internment insane and so it's not going to happen. It was rejected by the curriculum committee. So Muskegon Norway School District, and Matt, we've had experience with unions that represent those teachers. I'm sure for those educators, it's a shocking thing to be in that district. But they don't even want their kids to know that Japanese internment happened. So this gets very close to propaganda films. They want their school to be propaganda for the country, you know, there is no America right or wrong. America's always been right. And we're not even going to say when America's been wrong and which would be, it, it, it's a fuller education. If you understand that all people, all countries, people being wrong, great countries admit it 
and make up for it. Look, folks, the other the other strand here with this is <clears throat> we've been talking about it. There's the rise in anti-Asian hate in 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 this country right now is severe. And the, the data on it's it's shocking. And each day there there were a number of stories this week. I don't have them, uh, Robert, prepared, but like connected to this problem. Uh, PBS actually re-aired story this week, a very famous uh, incident where an um, Asian American was killed, I believe in Boston, uh, like 25, in the early 80s. And um, the killer didn't like, didn't even serve any jail time. And just talking about how we're in a similar moment where we're seeing huge rises and spikes. I believe there was a, a, a man beat in, in Wisconsin this week. Um and just how we have a real responsibility in this time coming out of a pandemic to hold our politicians accountable to not play in to this kind of fear. And so all of this stuff is connected. The notion that we would not properly tell the history, the, the very recent, this is still very recent, right? Last century kind of history about how this country treated um, Japanese Americans is 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 absolutely appalling, but it fits into this broader authoritarian where we're not actually going to have an honest and frank dialogue. Where yes, we can disagree, but we're going to try to be honest and frank and have facts and 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 hear both sides, hear all sides. Robert, I mean, if you want to know the ugly history, watch the American Experience documentary on the Chinese Exclusion Act, which led to Asian exclusion. And you can see that it's a history as ugly as as any in American history. And of course, uh, Japanese internment was a part of that uh, later in the sequence. It's not till the 1960s that we start not having a racist immigration policy, which is actually part of the right wing backlash now, because the immigration since the 1960s has made us a much more diverse country uh, to, uh, to our great benefit, unless you're a right wing authoritarian, apparently. So. Here's the thing, we had a huge increase in Asian hate uh, during the pandemic because of outrageous things I won't even repeat that the president of the United States was stating. Uh, we also have a little problem, Matt, that uh, not only we have the right not wanting to know about these things and pretend they don't, they don't exist now or didn't exist in the past, uh, but in addition, we have Democrats who are willing to take on China bashing as a good political issue. And I'm sorry, if you show a picture of China with some sort of Asiatic looking buildings in the background and think that that's based on you are generating opposition to a corporate globalized trade policy that undercuts workers. No, you're using anti-Chinese sentiment, okay? Yeah. And you are actually fomenting something that then risks our own citizens here, Asian Americans that are growing part of our country in a huge fabric, of, uh, uh, an indispensable fabric of American life. And with that, Folks, we have got to wrap up this battleground, Wisconsin. Um, again, the show, by the way, was Who Killed Vincent Chin? Uh, please uh, go stream. It's on PBS to stream. It is worth watching. It is a great tale and helpful to remind us we need to be we need to do better. We must do better. Folks, got to wrap it up. Want to thank our producer, Brian Woldridge, who makes the podcast happen every week. We'll see you next week at the Battleground, Wisconsin. <laughs>